بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في قرآنه العزيز بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون. I commence by praising Allah subhanahu wa taala. I ask Him, the Almighty, the Lord of all worlds, the Exalted. to shower his choicest of blessings and salutations upon the final messenger a beloved prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam his family members his companions and all those who tread upon his path with utmost sincerity until the day of qiyamah my dear respected elders and brothers in islam first and foremost i remind myself i advise myself and then all of you all present here to adopt a life of taqwa and that is to be conscious of your maker during every single second of your lives if you wish to attain success if you wish to attain victory in this world as well as the hereafter may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all from the people of taqwa and may he make us from the victorious and successful ones amen the topic for today's sermon is integration the middle ground given that the 4th of february is just around the corner i thought it appropriate to touch on citizenship to touch on integration to touch on patriotism and all of this through an islamic light inshallah taala what does islam have to say in this regard for us as muslims interestingly if you look at our community in this country we are a minority and that is established so how do we muslims behave how do we conduct ourselves has islam decreed this for us can we deduce lessons from the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam in this regard how are we to carry ourselves can we be a sri lankan citizen can we identify ourselves as such or do we have to go with the term muslim only can we can we can we have patriotic feelings in our hearts towards our country towards our motherland is it possible is it permissible in the light of islam so you have for example independence day a day a national holiday basically where we have people from around the country celebrating commemorating their independence from the british rule so how do we muslims carry ourselves on such a day do we isolate ourselves do we isolate ourselves where we disintegrate we remove ourselves from the community is that the path that we muslims need to take i mean where we we shut ourselves up at home and we have no integration whatsoever or do we integrate so much to the extent that even the word integration is no longer used we assimilate ourselves with them is that how we go about with it 
So inshallah, a few minutes that I have with you all, I would like to shed some light and again from the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa My dear respected elders and brothers in Islam, when you go into the books of Seerah, when you look at the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa it was through the divine wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the mission of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was divided into two phases. You have the Meccan period and then you have the period in Medina. Subhanallah. The Meccan period and then the period in Medina. When you analyze the life of the Prophet in Medina, a strict analysis, if you go in to deduce lessons from this perspective, from this angle, you'll find a plethora of lessons from the life of the Prophet teaching us how we Muslims need to conduct ourselves as a minority in a country like that of ours. We see the strategy of the Prophet We see his code of conduct. We see how he carried himself. There are so many lessons. He he behaved well with people of the other faith. If you look at uh, the period during the time when the Prophet was in Mecca, you had the bulk of them being polytheists i.e. they had ascribed the partners unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that did not equate or that does not equate that they were all of the same faith as in, in polytheism, in ascribing partners unto Allah, there were divisions amongst themselves as well. Because you had so many idols that were being worshipped. You had one faction worshipping one particular idol. You had another faction worshipping another particular idol. You had another faction perhaps worshipping the sun. You had a faction worshipping fire. Then you had the Christians, you had the Jews. So you had so many factions. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he comes with the teachings of Islam. And he ﷺ did not go pursuing. I hope it's not of interference. Uh, he did not go pursuing the light. But instead he ﷺ became the light. He became the guiding light and uh, lantern. He did not isolate himself from that community where he removes himself, you know, uh, maybe, maybe putting forth excuses as saying that, you know, I just can't take the trials and challenges that I'm witnessing. I can't, I can't, I can't uh, bear the fitan that I can see happening in front of me. So I need to isolate myself. I need to alienate myself from this community. I cannot integrate. I cannot work with them. Subhanallah. No. Today you have, you know, brothers at times saying that, you know, today we can't walk on the streets. You ask them why? Well, because... The opposite gender is half naked or almost, you know, naked. They're wearing clothes, but almost as if they're not wearing clothes at all. So it's very difficult. I just need to shut myself away and I feel like, you know, running away into the jungle perhaps. Now, if you look at it at the time of the Prophet there were fitna, there were fitan during his times as well. My dear brothers in Islam, they used to make tawaf around the Kaaba naked. They used to make tawaf around the Kaaba naked men and women it was part of their rituals they would do tawaf naked around the kaaba you've been to mecca you've seen the kaaba you've seen the numbers you've seen the crowds amassing and making tawaf around the house of allah so now just picture and imagine if they were all doing it naked subhanallah what a fitna but not did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam leave everything and run away no 
He integrated himself. He reached out to the non-Muslims. He reached out inviting them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that too in a beautiful way. And he taught the Sahaba. They were facing persecution. They were facing oppression. But he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did things in a very diplomatic way during the Meccan period. They used to gift one another. They would honor the invites of one another. They would share the sorrows of one another. They would attend the funerals of one another. The celebrations of one another. The Prophet ﷺ, you know, one instance where a Jew invites, the, a Jewish lady, a woman, she invites the Prophet ﷺ home to partake of a meal. And he honors the invite and that's when she got an opportunity to poison the Prophet ﷺ. But in the first place, he honored the invite, he accepted it. He went ahead to go and eat at her house. You know the instances where we have read there's, there was this lady who used to dump garbage on the Prophet ﷺ or used to, she used to put harmful things in the way of the Prophet ﷺ. One day, she's not there. And he asks the people around, where is the lady who used to, you know, generally always dump garbage on me? He was told she's fallen ill. He وسلم, did not curse her, did not swear under his breath, did not say serves her well. Subhanallah, no. He went on to go and visit her because she was ill. It was this conduct of the Prophet وسلم, that attracted so many people. Think about it, the Prophet and a small band of followers initially, a small band of followers. How did they grow? How did Islam grow? Today, some of us as Muslims, we tend to go back to the books of history. We tend to read the golden pages of Islamic rule, which is a good thing. You should not forget your history. But we tend to only look at things from that perspective when we were in control, when we were in dominion. You see, things were different then. You can't try to apply those, those principles and those values that were applied in a context where perhaps the Islamic rule was prevalent, where perhaps the Muslims were a majority, in a context where we Muslims are a minority. You can't. And that's why you even have a science. I want you all to pay an attentive ear at this point. You even have a science dedicated to us minorities known as fiqhul aqalliyat. The fiqh of the minorities, the legal theory of the minorities, the jurisprudence of the minorities. You have fiqh. Now you see the thing is this, this needs to be clearly understood. We are in no way trying to reinvent the Sharia. The deen of Allah is the deen of Allah. You see, when you talk about fiqh, fiqh is the jurisprudence, the understanding of the Sharia through jurists, through the fuqaha, through the scholars. You have interpretations, you have a variety of opinions put forth by the scholars and that's how we have the four schools of thought. We have Imam Shafi'i, we have Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad, Imam Malik and at times you would see opinions contrasting one another like chalk and cheese. This is through fiqh, the science of fiqh. And within this science you have a category known as the fiqh of the minorities. There are rules, there are ways to deduce rulings in the context of minorities. Let's say for example, Take the case of voting, the case of voting. Some people firmly believe 
that you cannot, when I say people, I mean Muslims, that you cannot vote for a non-Muslim party or a non-Muslim because we as Muslims should not take a non-Muslim as our patron, as our wali, mean awliya, as our protectors. But subhanallah, when you look at it in the context of fiqh al-aqalliyat, the fiqh that has been established for minorities, you are allowed to vote, you are allowed to vote and nominate a non-Muslim or a non-Muslim party. The, 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 the guidance in this regard is that you're supposed to choose to the best of your knowledge, the party that you believe, the individual that you, be, you believe serves in the best, who will serve in the best interest of the Muslimun or overall the community at large. You are allowed to vote. And in, in, in this, in this way, you have many other rulings that are deduced by the scholars. And this is why it's important in our context that we relate to the scholars of a local scholars. You need scholars who understand the local context, who understand what we as a community are going through. The rulings that are then applied come from these scholars. Sometimes some of us, we tend to, you know, Google rulings, verdicts, fatawa that are, you know, at times applied in different contexts and try to apply it in our own lives, which is at times problematic. You see, you have a difference of opinion and we need to be able to appreciate the difference of opinion in the deen. The difference, see, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had wanted, He could have had the deen just one way, no difference of opinion. But it is out of His infinite wisdom that He has established a difference of opinion. One scholar says this and another scholar says this. It is to accommodate people from different walks of life. It is because Islam is such a broad religion. And Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطَةً That we are a balanced nation. And that's why I started off by saying that integration is the middle ground because you have a spectrum. You have one end of the spectrum where people, like I said, isolate themselves. They don't integrate in any way. They alienate themselves and then the majority looks at this community. Why have they alienated themselves? They seem problematic and it strikes fear in their hearts. And, and they look at it like a tumor. You know, a tumor in your body, you want to get rid of it. And that's how they look at you if you isolate yourself. On the other hand, Islam also does, is not an advocate for assimilation. The Prophet ﷺ has said in terms of tashbih, we are not supposed to be similar in terms of our belief, in terms of our faiths, in terms of our con conduct. We're not supposed to photocopy the Christians or the Jews. Why? Because we have our own principles that we stand up for, our own values that we stand up for. So that's the middle ground. But maintaining those principles and values, we are supposed to integrate into the community, integrate into the society. You see, I think it was last year, in one of our neighboring countries, they actually passed a law that Islamic institutions need to video record their Independence Day celebrations in the institution and produce it at the closest governmental office. It was a law that like say for example this masjid would have to conduct an Independence Day celebration and to prove that they did, to prove their loyalty to the country because at the end of the day if you look at the definition of a citizen, it's being loyal to your country. 
You understand? It's being an individual who has rights. Yes, we tend to sometimes focus on the rights only. Losing focus of the responsibilities that you also have as a citizen. They were forced, there was this law that was enforced that you're supposed to video record the celebrations and produce it at the closest governmental office to prove that you have celebrated Independence Day. If you look at our country, my dear brothers in Islam, we have been given so much of freedom in terms of practicing our deen. And that's why I uh, started off with this uh, particular topic, title, and, and the basis, the premise for the title is the ayah in uh, chapter number 60 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَا يَنْهَاكُمُ اللَّهُ عَنِ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ Allah does not forbid you to be kind and equitable to those who have not fought you in terms of your deen, in terms of your religion. And they have not driven you out of your homes. Allah does not forbid you from being kind and equitable unto them. But, but, but what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid? He forbids you to be allies with those who have fought you because of your religion. He forbids you to take them as friends, to take them as protectors. If they have fought you in regards to your religion, if they have driven you out of your homes. In Allah yuhibbul muqsiteen. Indeed, Allah loves those who are just, who are fair. So in our context, we need to be able to preserve this harmony. We need to be able to preserve this coexistence, not only for our generation, but the generations of the future, for our children, for their children. You know, if you are 60, if you are 50, you've got a little more time and then you are going to move on. But what about your children? They need to have a safe place to live in, to call themselves a citizen of this country. The Prophet ﷺ, he prided himself over being a Qurashi. And Allah says, وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُوا Because you didn't have states during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. You didn't have nations during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. What was prevalent at that time were tribes. And the Prophet was from the Quraysh. And he would introduce himself that I am the son of Abdul, I am the grandson, I am from the lineage of Abdul Muttalib. I am from this clan, the Hashimi, I am, I am a Qurashi. So from this we understand that there is no harm in introducing yourself as a Sri Lankan. There's no harm in being proud in that regard. Some of us at times we have this, again, skewed understanding of pride. The Prophet defined pride. Pride, arrogance is problematic. The definition of pride is turning away from the truth. Batarul Haq. When the truth is presented, you refuse to accept it. That is pride. Or number two, you look down upon people. You consider yourself superior and you look down upon people. That is pride. But let's say a father at his son's graduation, he's crying tears of happiness and he says, I'm proud of you, my son. He says, I'm proud of you, my son. Islam does not forbid that. Islam does not forbid that. Now, if he takes that pride to heart, and thinks of his son as being superior than other children and he looks down upon other children, then it is problematic. So if you consider yourself proud to be a citizen of a particular country, there doesn't seem to be a problem with that. And to even hold yourself a citizen of a country, there's no problem with it. So my dear brothers in Islam, it's simply put, as long as it does not compromise in terms of your principles of faith, as long as you're not compromising in terms of your beliefs unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You stand firm. 
And as long as you're not giving in to injustice, if injustice occurs, you stand up. Islam tells you that. If they are depriving you of your rights as a citizen, if they are depriving you of your rights to practice your religion in freedom, then yes, we as a community, we need to stand up. But when we don't face problems of that nature, we need to integrate. If not, if we do not integrate, we are going to be facing problems, unnecessary paranoia, unless, un un unnecessary phobias, unnecessary Islamophobia, unnecessary fear gripping their hearts in regards to us Muslims, in regards to what is being shared through the manabir, through the pulpits. You see, non-Muslims, they generally have this qualm, they, they have this fear, they say, what do they say? We, 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 we don't know what is being shared on a weekly basis. They see the Muslim moon all coming out of the masajid in big numbers, but they don't know what is being shared from the pulpits. They think that it is hatred that is being shared. But subhanallah, in all actuality, if these sermons were to be televised, and if people were to actually witness what is being preached, they would understand Islam better. We're not, we're not enticing or inciting hate. We're not asking people to indulge in hatred, negativity and toxicity. No, but instead we're promoting love. We're promoting peace. We're promoting care. We're promoting kindness through the teachings of the Prophet Now, before I conclude, just one final thing. My dear brothers in Islam, don't think, there are some of us who think, who, who fall back onto this excuse where they say, you know what, all of this has been decreed by Allah. It is from the signs of the day of Qiyamah. And there's technically nothing that we can do about it. Or you know what, I'm just powerless. It's a trend where I cannot contribute in any way. So I'm just going to be a passive individual in this regard or even a passive citizen. No, my dear brother. As Allah says in the Quran, when evil takes place, you cannot blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bima kasabat aidikum. It is what your own hands have earned. You need to take responsibility for it. And you should know that you have the potential within you to change it. For example, if all of us were to envision a country that is free of litter, free of litter, dirt, and if each and every one of us, if we were to take a conscious decision to reduce waste, to make sure that we don't just chuck waste out of our cars or whilst we walk on the streets, if we all take a conscious decision to try and prevent open urination, open defecation, and maybe if we were to resort to alternate ways of disposing our waste like recycling, composting, etc. If all of us do it, we can work towards a cleaner country. We can. Yes, perhaps all of us would love to switch to electric cars, but the infrastructure is not in place to do that. But still, in small ways, we can contribute towards a better country. You see, the other day I was reading in regards to the signs of the day of Tayama. The major signs are 10 in number. One sign is a dukhan that a smoke will fill the entire planet. Interestingly, you have the majority of the scholars who state that it will literally happen. One day you'll wake up and you will see this big smog of smoke covering the entire planet. But there is a minority opinion and in a way it's an interesting opinion and that's why I'm sharing it with you all. There are some scholars a minority, but the opinion is out there and that's why it's interesting. 
who are of the opinion that this sign has already been activated. How so? In the form of pollution. According to them, it's not going to happen overnight where you wake up in the morning and see the entire planet covered in smoke. They say it's gradually happening in the form of pollution. You go to certain countries, you get down from the plane, you can't even walk. There's no clarity in front of you. It looks all blurred because of the smoke, because of the pollution. And according to these scholars, this is, what, this is one of the things that will lead to the destruction of this planet. And don't you see it happening? Don't you see how pollution is contaminating our planet? Don't you see global warming, climate change, the ozone layer disintegrating? All through pollution. So for, for some of us that live in a third world country, we don't tend to think of it as being something important. But do you know the Prophet ﷺ was an environmentalist? The Prophet was concerned about the environment. The Prophet is reported to have said that even if you know that the day of Qiyamah is commencing, Subhanallah, think about it. Think about the mentality. Day of Qiyamah is commencing. What kind of a mental state would you be in? And if you have a plant in your hand, a tree, and if you have the opportunity to plant it, before the day of Qiyamah begins, plant it. Subhanallah. The day of Qiyamah is about to start. You've got the notifications. You've got the announcements. And now you have a plant in your tree. The Prophet is teaching you, plant the tree. Look at the teachings of the Prophet Protect the environment. Protect your country. This is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are Muslims living in other countries where they have been stripped from their rights in regards to fasting, practicing their religion, prayer, salah, so many things, subhanallah. So let's, let's think in a pragmatic way. Let's think in a proactive way, each and every one of us. Please, if we do so, we can work towards a beautiful country. As intellectuals, we are a beautiful community. We can show the other communities the model of the Prophet ﷺ, the model of Islam, and we can attract them towards Islam. So let's work towards that, inshaAllah ta'ala. With that I conclude, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive all of our sins, to accept our good deeds, to help us to become better citizens of this country, to help all of us to unite, to push this country forward, to take us from strength to strength. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala broaden our visions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our hearts and give us the proper understanding of the deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to stay away from narrow-mindedness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to stay away from hatred, violence, and, and all kinds of toxic qualities. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as how He unites us here in this masjid, may He unite us in the gardens of Jannah with our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Ameen, ameen, wa akhir da'wa, alhamdulillah, rabbil alayhi.